0: What's this for? So, we have a podcast called Bitch Face. And
1: <laughs> and no, I have a podcast called <laughs> Bitch Face. You're on Bitch Face right now. <laughs> so, live. I have a podcast called Resting Bitch Face.
0: Hey, I'm Phoebe. Hey, I'm Nicole. This is Bitch Face.
1: <laughs> Bitchface is a podcast about women we think are cool, which sometimes means us. And also feminism, always. For this episode, we're talking about protagonism and the gaze. Not the gaze, the, the gaze. <laughs> the male gaze, the female gaze, the queer gaze.
0: We've gotten pretty interested in taking dominant cultural narratives
1: and subverting them.
0: That's what we were thinking about when we made that last episode about hitchhiking.
1: Yeah, I feel like right now in the culture, there's a shift happening. We're starting to see women differently, we're starting to see queerness differently, and we've started to see ourselves differently. Like, that there are more options than what dominant media, which is reinforcing the culture and vice versa, would have us believe. What are the stories that aren't
0: being told? What stories are being erased? What stories are threatening to that dominant narrative, and why? And what can we do about it?
1: We talked to Gina Young, an actor, a writer, and a queer feminist working in LA. Gina is a creator of Sorority, which is this queer feminist performance art series that was happening all summer in Silver Lake. And she also created a workshop called the Feminist Acting Class. But first, we're in conversation with Jill Soloway. We're in conversation with Jill Soloway pretty much all the time. All the time. Like in our minds.
0: Jill Soloway, if you don't know... How could you not know? ...is the creator of the Amazon show Transparent, which won another Emmy this year for its third season. Jill also gave this talk at the Toronto International Film Festival called The Female Gaze, and we became kind of obsessed with it. We both watched it 500 times. And we definitely recommend listening to the whole thing, but... Here's Jill.
2: Protagonism is propaganda that protects and perpetuates... Privilege. we will call those the five Ps from now on. So I wanna offer those five Ps to women today. I'm, I'm, I'm here to inspire women to grab hold of the gaze. I know what you're thinking, Jill, fucking say it already. What is the female gaze?
1: Okay, I'm going to. Then she said topple the patriarchy at the Emmys. Oh, that <laughs> that And her. she
0: triaged her relation with Eileen Miles on stage at the Hammer. And we were here for it. Here her. for it. By the way, we invited Eileen Miles to be on Bitch Face, and she declined. <laughs> she did but decline. But via postcard, <laughs> she wrote us back. And, you know, she probably wants to be Pimp she definitely wants to be Pimp Bells Anyway, the female gaze.
1: Let's talk about what that is. Let's start by talking about the male gaze. Um, it's pretty obvious. It's the gaze that objectifies. It's, like, most porn. It's most movies. It's most advertising. It's... You're basically seeing it all day, every day, wherever you go. Right. Whereas the female gaze positions people as subjects, not objects. The female gaze communicates female desire. It expresses what it feels like to be looked at, like to be objectified. But also creates empathy for female protagonists. In her talk at the film festival, Jill used this example of the male gaze in pop culture um, about a Rod Stewart song she liked when she was a kid, where like Rod Stewart is talking about... You know, he's saying something about like this luring this virgin child upstairs before and, the night's too old.
0: And she's just, you know, singing along as a
2: child. Inhibitions run wild. The secret is about to unfold. Upstairs before the night's too old. Tonight's th- What was he doing? <laughs> what was I doing singing along? Was I Rod Stewart? Was I the virgin child? It didn't matter. It's just it was like it's it's here was like a pedophile <laughs> grooming a culture to encourage <laughs> underage girls to go upstairs before the night's too old. And nobody said anything. <laughs> and my presidential party- Like
0: I just want to like go back through my life and just see how much just how many rapey song lyrics i said mm-hmm. without thinking they were rapey and mm-hmm. then like how that internalized and how that made me susceptible to like rapey behavior yeah
1: i mean i guess i'm more interested in just sort of like being away to that stuff now yeah i'm like i'm always just sort of like Relieved, and I notice that stuff now, and like, and we have the control. I mean, this. the cool thing about solway that I really appreciated, like, sort of how publicly she's living her like her her personal feminist revolution. These revelations that she had late in life, due to her father coming out, like, you know, she had the, she had these these big moments in her. I want to say, I guess, forties. You yeah. know, like, I think that New Yorker profile. She says she's almost fifty. I don't know. And the rage is like really useful. Clearly, she's enraged. We're enraged. If
0: you're <laughs> if you're out there listening. Are you enraged? Get ragey. <laughs> silently enraged. Turn your silent rage into, you know. Vocal
2: rage. <laughs> yeah. Vocal rage. Rage on. Gasp of this awareness when you realize how much you haven't been able to be in your body because you have been the object of the gaze your whole life is a sort of paralysis. It's like this kind of silent rage when you realize how much, what an overwhelming amount of cis male artists have been telling their stories that worked like propaganda to teach us how to behave
0: so perfectly articulates what i felt for Uh a while Uh now and i guess my silent rage Mm -hmm. of just like the lost potential of my life i know due to not seeing myself that way as someone that orchestrates what happens to me that like has the capacity to do what i want to do for so long it was like what is being done to me and how am I reacting to that?
1: Yeah, interesting versus sort of taking... I do feel that same sense like this whole year is I feel like in this process of like becoming more radical in my feminism and definitely a huge part of that is sort of this agency and this for total, the most of my life ever, like rejection of like that narrative being imposed upon me. But also like what I think about when I hear that is like as someone who tells stories and cr- is like a creator... I had a moment of, like, awakening where I was like, wait, everything that I've ever been told to read in school, all these, like, stories I'm told, like, the canon, this idea of, like, certain white dudes get to write what literature is, and, like, just sort of taking that for granted for so long then having a realization, like, wait, like, uh, that's not actually... That's a standard created by other white dudes for for white dudes, you know. Yeah. There are beautifully told stories about men and boys and male experiences that are that are moving that I can be moved by. I have plenty. I have tons of empathy for men as a result of this sort of. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to call it conditioning, but as a result of this sort of like education, like like it or not, but also like the fact that like women aren't getting to tell their own stories means there's like that lack on the other side. And you have like to more. be
0: intentional about. Putting those stories into your mind because you won't just get them yeah, by walking. Exactly. You won't get them by listening to the radio, like right. you Watching like TV. she talks about, and you won't yeah. get them like we're all suffering from those mm-hmm. missed stories. And that's what I like about when she talks about the binary of gender is going to become more irrelevant, and so it's like the female gaze doesn't necessarily mean it's kind of the all other gazes. It's just
1: whatever is inverse of the dominant male gaze. Again, like something I th- thought about a lot when I was. Writing fiction was, I think I write a lot about the male gaze, which is something else she talks about, like the sensation of being looked at, but not just by men, but also by like white people. She does mention in the beginning that like some of this
0: can be applied to an intersectional lens, but that like she cannot really speak to that yet,
1: yeah, uh-huh. especially as a white woman. Right, so. right. I think that gets really complicated when you, and I'm just, I really just kind of go to thinking about black women, but when you talk about black women, like, it does get complicated as far as, like, I think there are different, like, tropes and archetypes like we're allowed to occupy in popular narratives.
2: So there's this thing I call the divided feminine, and once you start to notice it, you see it everywhere. Men divide us for their storylines. They divide us so they can tell, tell stories about us to other men. So they call us the Madonna and the whore. They say, the one I wanna marry and the one I wanna fuck. We don't wanna be turned into slices that push men towards their own plot climaxes, their own rescues, their own revenges. We are not the Madonna or the whore, the Betty and Veronica, the Ginger, the Marianne. Sometimes we have to slice ourselves even smaller, choose from three, pick one. Are you Carrie? Are you Charlotte? Are you Miranda? Are you Samantha?
0: There is no male equivalent to... The question of, like, are you are Samantha, you? Charlotte, Carrie,
1: and whoever the fuck. I'm trying to think of a show that slices men. In that way. I, I initially just thought, like, Entourage. I haven't, don't know that show that well. Uh, have you seen it? No, I mean, like... I just know there's five dudes on it. <laughs> but I also... But, you're right, though. I think we should it's start a, doing that. It's a that. cultural trope. Just like, even though... You yeah, have never seen yeah, it? But, yeah, I'm, like... I keep wanting to remind myself she's talking to a room full of filmmakers about this, like, this idea of subjectivity is, like, it almost could be, like, a very filmic term, but then when she, when she says the thing, like, we don't want to be the impetus for your rescue, your climax, like, I have, I've had that experience in real life, like, I feel like in relationships, I've had that experience, I'm like, I'm not here to serve some purpose for you, and, like, I think those things get projected because now when I watch TV, I, th- I see, like, oh, that's where that dude got that idea to treat me this way, from this, like, dumb, I don't know, from this character yeah. in some movie or something, or... A character that you've seen a lot, like, not a specific character, but Wait, an archetype.
0: Can, I'm curious. Can you, like, be more specific about <laughs> the incident? I've, oh, my God. Really? It okay. doesn't necessarily have to make it to air, but I'm, like,
1: I'm curious. Okay, so I've because... just been watch while I'm doing my, my... One of my jobs is really boring, and so I have to watch things while I'm doing it. And so I've just been watching Save by the Bell. And I just feel like I see so much of some of my past relationships... In this Zach Morris is, like, really just, like, in the epitome of, like, white dude fragility. Like, the things oh he gets God. butthurt about and, like, the ways that he sort of, like, the ways he talks about Kelly, the cheerleader, it's just, like, it's just, she is an object that he owns. Like, they refer to her as like, my Kelly is like, a thing he says constantly. Kelly is, she's flattered by this kind <laughs> of attention. And I'm, like, I'm sure when I was watching, now I identify with Jesse the feminist, and I think that I liked Jesse, but yeah. probably, like, wanted to be Kelly. And so... I'm sure I acquiesced to certain male behavior because right. I thought that, like, I should want this. like Right, you know. that
0: inclination to be that higher up sort of woman that's held in regard when, like, now when I hear the the kind of good girl, bad girl narrative that Jill sets up, obviously neither work for me because they're both reductive. Right, exactly. But, like, if anything, like, I want to be the one that says fuck it the most.
3: Yeah, hell Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, if that means I get
1: killed, then I get killed <laughs> for the revolution. <laughs> Feminist um, martyrdom. That's <laughs> the next episode of Fish
0: But, but Fish like, ima- yeah, imagine, like, the kid shows of the future. 100
2: years. Whether it's 5,000 years or 100 years, I started doing the math in my head and started feeling like if we're actually going to really get to gender parity, not parity, <laughs> parity, um... Not only would women have to really just be making shit all the time and get their stuff funded all the time, but also cis males would have to stop. (laughs) And that's what I said at Northwestern. It didn't go over well. I was like, cis men, where are you? Are you guys filmmakers? Okay. Can you do me a favor? Can you just stop (laughs) making things, please just step off, (laughs) just step the fuck back. With your protagonism for, I don't know, a hundred years. Give us a fucking break.
0: This is where it sometimes gets kind of real because it's like, this is when my conversations about this with men have kind of shut down, is when we get to the sort of, and, and even Jill has a moment where she kind of jokes around about like, well, what will they do? And
1: then she's like, we don't really know.
0: <laughs> you know, it's like, what will we find for them to, to take uh-huh. up instead?
1: I sort of just feel like there's so much the inequity is so deep that I mean, that's what she's saying is like outrageous, but also like it is true. And I, I think like one time even sent me like a little, meme I or something talk about, about the pie. About, yeah, how like there isn't enough space for everyone. It's so, like, it's not going to be and, like equal opportunity for all, all creators. That's not right. Gonna and like,
0: I think that that is a stance that a lot of people take. Everyone can have, you know, a piece of the, the creativity pie, the cultural production pie. Like we can all, everyone participating will make it equal. But it's, that's not true. No. There's an endless amount of cultural production materials to go around. And no. that's, like, what capitalism tells you is that, like, it's, it's unlimited. It's unending. Like, just keep going and going. But, like, that's not the case.
1: No. I mean, we're talking about an exchange of privilege. Like, she says the camera is a privileged creator. Privilege, by definition, is allotted to few and not to everyone. To our male listeners, like,
0: how do you feel about putting down your flute? or your <laughs> or your camera like I actually want to know what men what that makes men feel
1: yeah I'm curious to know I but I get like my I, quota but I feel like I feel like based on my experiences as a woman of color I can pretty much imagine how it might feel to have someone tell you like you know we don't want to hear from you we're not interested in your point of view anymore maybe I can't relate to how it feels to have had that privilege have it taken away which is happening it's gonna keep happening
0: what if you guys just kind of like i mean if, someone has to
1: answer the phones we can have like an affirmative action program where like every, we ha- there's a quota <laughs> you have to have at least two dudes on your crew also
0: maybe the men could do like the craft services the food
1: yeah they should jill if you're listening we have a lot of suggestions why don't you just give us a call at 40628 bitch and we will we <laughs> we'll talk to you on the air <laughs> yeah we will definitely talk to you on the air
0: Gina Young has been writing and producing plays in New York and LA for years. We got to see one of her first works, Tales of a Fourth Grade Lesbo. Loved it, it was great. It was really great. And this past summer, we got to go to Sorority, which was a performance art series that Gina put together featuring mostly women, but all kinds of people's stories, plays, experimental work, unfinished work, basically amazing women sharing really personal stories about things that are really relevant but in like the most fun and warm environment
1: i only got to go to sorority one time but i did hear it's like the it was the place to go to meet artsy queer ladies in their 30s definitely you'll have another chance december 3rd and
0: 4th when gina takes sorority to the hammer big league (laughs) (laughs) it's a big deal um so hit up those daytime shows for sure
1: In October, Gina also taught this workshop in Los Angeles at the Women's Center for Creative Work called Feminist Acting Class. So we went to the class and we listened in and like got into it. Um, Rolled around on
0: the floor a little bit.
1: (laughs) One of us did. And then we met up with Gina to talk about being a feminist in an actor, being queer in an actor, and what it's like when your body is actually a commodity and the cultural gatekeepers don't accommodate you. They won't put you on screen or- They're not gonna
0: write roles for you, that's for sure. exactly. So this part with Gina, is kind of almost like the flip side of what Jill talks about in her talk about being a filmmaker. And, and Jill is asking, you know, can a camera angle be feminist and not objectifying? Right. And Gina's kind
1: of asking, like, can a text, like a play or the script be made feminist or queer, depending on who the actor is or depending on the acting itself? And the intent of the actors, yeah. I think feminist acting class is also about subverting archetypes in this really intentional way, like rejecting the idea that a protagonist can only like look or sound or act like a certain kind of woman.
0: It's about changing who we think of when we think about protagonists. And it's about thinking of yourself as a protagonist, despite the very limited range of right. people you're going to see on your TV screen.
3: So if you're an aspiring actor in L.A., probably the first thing you hear in every acting class or acting workshop is like, know your type, like what's your type, figure out your type, work your type, Um, and they're not wrong, right, like if you want to work in this town, you definitely should have an awareness of how people perceive you and in what ways that is marketable, you might be able to, you know, be marketable, but at the same time, like, they don't talk about how much that typecasting relies on outdated sexist and racist stereotypes. And how much of that, like, I mean, really, doesn't it just feel old? Like, it feels so outdated. It feels so yesterday.
1: Before the class, Gina sent an email to each of the actors, asking them to describe the ways they've been limited by perceptions of their race or gender when they've gone out on auditions. Some of the women agreed to read their responses for Bitch Face, and some of those stories came up in class.
0: Uh, The first... Job that I was offered out of college was to
1: moan over a like soundtrack for a guy. He was like,
0: "Yeah, I just need a girl to like make some like sexy noises over a track." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, like, straight out of college, I- they see I- me and understand me to be a quirky, digestible sidekick, generally desexualized. AKA, my characters are in support of a protagonist's desires and relationships, but not in desire or relationship herself. He watched me do what I was going to do, and I was like, I
1: hope that he likes it. I hope
0: that he liked it. And the first thing he said to me was, yeah, that was, yeah, good. Um, Could you do it again? And just, you know, just, girl, you know (laughs) what I'm talking about? Like, just give it a little bit more, like, get your neck into it. I want to see some sass. You know what I'm talking about. And I was like, I truly do not. I realized the setup of others casting me in roles was igniting queer closet trauma
3: for me. You tell me how to be, you tell me how you see me, and I'll perform that role for you. Audition appointments would come in and they'd say, wear this kind of outfit, and my body would constrict. I am darker skinned, I have all the skin, dark hair, brown eyes. I have a pretty big nose, big brown eyes, I look ethnic, for sure. Uh, But they were confused because they hadn't told them prior where I was from, and the scene didn't tell them that either. So one of the men said, you know, Megan, the scene was fine, but I really wish you would have done something more like an Indian warrior princess or something, a scene that really could have shown us, you know, more about you.
1: For Gina, who identifies as queer femme, it was also her early experiences with casting that led her to write primarily for and about queer women. Here's a clip from Gina's first play, Tales of a Fourth-Grade Lesbo.
0: <laughs> and then the fight with the girls was over, and the natural order was restored. I honestly, now I wonder, how I could have not known how homo I was for this girl. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. There have been and still are girls I like can friend crushes on and admire. But this was different. I mean, this was googly-eyed, obsessive, and part of me knew even then that I wanted to be the one to kiss her instead of talking about which of the boys she kissed. Kissing or making out is also known as macking on or, more commonly, scamming on someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh.
3: For me, when I was first, like... Acting. there were no roles for queer women so then I had to spend all my time like trying to look straight and I don't mm. I I don't pass that well you know what I mean like I, I mean I'm an actor I can do anything I kiss boys at auditions and stuff like that but it's like when they want a straight woman they don't want me because I don't have that look I don't look right I don't look like a soccer mom I don't look like a mom at all I mean that's a whole nother can of worms is like yeah. they'll be like looking for a mom type And it's like, well, all types of people are Are moms moms. and many different types of women have children. And like, what does that mean? But they usually mean like a soccer mom, conservative, you know, and that's as opposed to like a sexy woman who is viable as a sex object. Meanwhile, most moms are having sex. That is where the children (laughs) come from. You know, you don't really pass for straight, so you don't get to play straight roles. And then now, finally, they're casting for lesbians and queer women and stuff all the time. And I go out on these calls that are like, yeah, queer... And then they don't want me, they want someone with a faux hawk and like masculine of center and it's like this very sort of 2004, (laughs) like they want this identity that is very, very specifically like what they think lesbian or queer women are. And it is, it's, it's narrow.
1: Another thing I thought about when I was just listening in the workshop was just like how, you know, I was like, is it, if you're an actor, like, is it possible for like your your very being, like, your body, like, this encasement of, like, your soul or whatever, like, is a commodity, and, like, you know, I guess the only way to have that not be the case is if we lived in a more feminist culture that didn't constantly objectify us you know so yeah because
3: you really are selling you're selling your looks Mm -hmm. and then I mean I think that's part of why I like theater so much more than film and television is that there's more room for ugliness in theater that like you can be uglier on stage you get to have a body like (laughs) most film and TV it's right in here you can't see what I'm doing with my hands I'm like framing my face in a close up Mm -hmm. so then like your acting also has to be pretty right Mm -hmm. like you can cry, but it has to be a pretty cry. And you can get angry, but it has to be a sexy angry. And right, this, yeah. the way that these like emotions are sort of, you know, and, and also having a male teacher from the outside telling you how to properly objectify yourself yeah. or how you should feel or what it should look like. I mean, again, how to perform, which yeah. I like we're all doing. Performing gender all the time is right. really like, we get so much from entertainment and I'm putting entertainment in air quotes right now. like. <laughs> entertainment is influencing culture in such huge ways i think it leads to yeah. more acceptance i think it leads to learning about other cultures but only if it goes there right. you know like we have to do that and we have to have more protagonists who are of different cultures and different ethnicities and right. different you know uh, genders and all of yeah. it you know
1: and i think when I, mean, I think that visibility is part of it i think that's part of what you're talking about but i also it's not just who we see on screen people on all levels are creating content because mm-hmm. like vis- visibility does not necessarily equal subjectivity sure. and i think that's such a that was a, such a, a good distinction to me
3: well because i think we've all become very media attuned now right like we're all so used to the the rainbow friend group, you know what I mean? Where it's like, there's a <laughs> yeah. white person at the center, there's a white person Always. at the center, but then they have friends of all different ethnicities who yeah. are like kind of not important, but like they're there. You know? uh, yeah. And it's just like, that's not actually how the world is. Like, like everyone is actually the center of their own story. Right. Everyone is actually the center of their own story. And that's again why the love interest thing bugs me so much because I'm like, people fall in love all the time yeah. All types of people are getting married and getting laid and getting whatever. And like, there was that horrible thing where some dude from, I forget, maybe it was the New York Times, was like, two men in love with Lena Dunham on her show? I mean, that's just not realistic. And I was like, wow, like, he actually doesn't believe that women who aren't stick thin are getting laid. Mm-hmm. Like, are you joking, sir? Do you <laughs> understand that, like, the reality of, of being a woman for many women is just sort of fending off constant disgusting advances? Right. Like.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
3: but it was just so it's just amazing and really sad and fucked up to hear the things that women get told on a daily basis. And
2: um, so I went in and I did this scene and and I finished and he said, um, you know, the problem is that you're not sexy, charming or likable enough Mm -hmm. to be a series regular. So, uh, you shouldn't even be
3: auditioning with
1: this scene. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow. Um,
3: and... It impacts, then, like, what we feel like we're allowed to do and what we what we end up creating on our own time, too, because we feel like, oh, well, I'm only the quirky best friend, so I can't actually do anything real, so I should probably start focusing on comedy and, like, make a comedic web series, or whatever, even if that's not what you... Wanted to be doing. Wow! You know? I'm
0: kind of fascinated by how that like would go back into your real life if you're constantly being told you're one thing in like your professional or the like, creative life, and then do you feel kind of like limited
3: then as a person? For you know? sure. Well, and I think the you know the world of like representation on like TV, film, stage, all of that stuff is just a mirror of what's happening in the real world in a lot of ways which is that you know the people who have the power are controlling the stories that get told Um, the people who have the money get to make more stuff and get it seen more widely Um, but I think that we're sort of really figuring out ways to disrupt that and to kind of work against that the kind of stuff that's happening in the margins is the stuff that's gonna go down in the history books Mm -hmm. you know what I mean whereas that Hollywood blockbuster that made a bajillion dollars like no one's gonna care about that next year
0: know Young's having a moment, y'all. If you're in L.A., you should definitely go see Sorority at the Hammer December 3rd and 4th. Also, she has a mailing list, so, you know, Google it and sign up. It has information about all her projects, including feminist acting class. Protagonism is
1: propaganda that protects her
2: perpetuates privilege.
0: So, I feel like the whole idea behind the female gaze is subjectivity. Like, when we're allowed to be the subjects of stories, we can't be objectified as easily in actual life.
1: Diverse media is not just about representation. Protagonism, it's also about this humanizing effect. Like, maybe some straight white dude might think twice about rape if he saw a movie about rape that was made by a woman, from the woman's point of view, for once.
3: <laughs> Let's never say that again. this. Let's not say the word straight white men anymore in this class, if we can't.
0: And also, when we see a greater range of stories about female experiences, it creates possibilities for ourselves in our own minds.
1: We are very excited about this outro music. It's a cover Brianna Obs from our friend Myra, who's Andy and Electro Pop Bands called NT Wawa. Shout out Myra, she's the best. Obsessed with this cover. Bitch Base is hosted by me, Nicole. And me, Phoebe. And produced by Audio Bruja, Elissa Dudley.
0: Call us, our voicemail box is not quite full. Leave us a <laughs> message
1: 406
0: 28 Bitch.
1: Bitch!